you're listening to the Living Word Church Podcast. To learn more about Living Word Church and our service times, visit us online at livingwordli.org. Today's message comes from our lead pastor, Doug Jansen. We're continuing our series on the book of Acts, and for me, I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but right around this time of year, Slurpees become an issue for me. They become a little bit of a problem. Um, for about 10 months, I don't touch a Slurpee. I don't go anywhere near it. But every July, I just kick in the Slurpee mode, and I don't care what I have to do to get it. Like, I'll go in, and you know when the little red light's on, and it's all liquid? Like, I'll still go for it, man. I'll do what I have to do. Or I'll get my little mix that I need from that one and drive to a different location, whatever I got to do. But of course, when you drink a Slurpee, you get a that's right. Well, that was a lot weaker than I thought it was going to be. You get a brain freeze. And uh, like the, the thing with the brain freeze is, is you are out of commission when you have a brain freeze, right? Like if you're driving, you need to pull over, you need to stop. Like you can't do much. And no matter how often I tell myself, like, you know, pace your drinking, Doug. Like take a sip, then take another sip and just wait. Like I always get the brain freeze and it puts me kind of out of commission. And I want to talk with you about a few things today that I think kind of as followers of Jesus as people pursuing Jesus, these things kind of give us almost spiritual brain freeze, and we kind of get stuck. We're kind of out of commission for a little while while we're in the middle of some of these things that I want to work through with you today. And so I hope this is really helpful for you, and we're going to get to a whole bunch here. And as I've been saying in this series, I'm just throwing shoes out. Put it on if it fits. Uh, apply what applies to you, and I believe that God will move in your life and speak to you today. So for question number one is, are we trying to help Jesus save us? Are we trying to assist him in our being saved? Or, this is really important, are we putting little extra requirements on our friends who are trying to come to faith and saying, oh, okay, okay, that's great. Yeah, Jesus saves, but just add this and just do that, you know? And so are we truly relying on Jesus to be our Savior? Question number two we're going to look at today. What should our attitude be toward new people just coming to Jesus? Let me ask that question in a different way. You ready? Should we make it difficult or easy for them? To come to Jesus, that's the question. Um, should we make it easy for them to put their trust in Jesus and to begin to kind of get their spiritual legs under them? Or do we make them jump through a whole bunch of hoops, a whole bunch of religious hoops that kind of get in the way? Question number three, what should my attitude be toward people with different convictions than me? So if I were to do a survey right now of all the people in the room and online, and I said, okay, um, tell me if you agree with this. If you agree with this, raise your hand. About half of you would raise your hand, and then the other half would sit there going, oh, I can't believe those people just raised their hand. And I'd say, okay, if you agree with that, raise your hand. The other people that weren't raising their hand would then raise their hand, and the other people would be sitting there going, oh, man, this is terrible. How can we come to this church, right? Like, the truth is, is we have to learn how to deal with each other's convictions and be unified. And so we're going to work through that here today. Question four, how do we handle conflict in the church? Have you ever left the church because there was conflict? Have you ever not wanted to come back to church because there's conflict? Have you ever not even wanted to see me? You run into me in the grocery store. You go down another aisle because there was some conflict. Yeah, I see you. You think I don't see you. I see you all. You're like, oh, all right. I haven't seen him in a bit. Um, but, you know, that conflict, how do we actually work through it? And that's a big topic. We've spent whole series on that. But that's where the verses are going to go today, so we're going to go there. And the last question, I think we can all relate to this. What does it look like to follow God's leading? This is a huge theme in Acts, by the way. We have learned so much already about God's leading in our life, that he wants to lead us, and what it looks like to begin to follow some of his leading. But today, I want us to really get specific about some of the ways that God leads us and how we respond, because I think often we get, again, spiritual brain freeze, and I think many of us aren't following God's leading in our life because we think, well, either I don't know how to follow his leading, 
Or that's kind of like for serious Christians and I'm just a plain old Christian, okay? I just wanna let you know, God wants to lead every Christian. And if you're not a Christian yet, he wants to develop a relationship with you so that he can lead you. But I love the idea of the fact that God has a plan for us. A few years ago, actually many years ago now, about eight, my son Landon was about seven years old. And uh, one day he was going over to his friend's house and the night before he was gonna go, we found a little list that they had made of things that they were gonna do. They had planned this all out. And so one of the things was make brownies. I don't know how that went, by the way, two seven-year-olds making brownies, but um, Nerf gun fight. Go, go to our friend's baseball game. But the, thing, the first thing on the list that cracked me up was say hi. They actually wrote on the list, say hi, right? And I love the little planning that was going on. Don't you wish that we just had a little, like Sunday, I woke up here, July 16th, and there's my Jesus list for today. And it was super obvious about what I'm supposed to do. But I want to tell you, God wants to lead us. And we have to begin to learn when it's him and what he's saying. So we're going to dive into that here today. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're thrilled you're here. You will see and hear, I pray today, what it is to follow Jesus and about his love for you. So we're in the book of Acts. Who wrote it? All right, all right. That was okay. All right. Hey, you guys were strong on your greeting to Joe. and Now you've been weak. All right, so I need you to step up your game here, okay? Now what's interesting to me is we're going to see a few struggles here in the story, which I love. Like, I love Luke is writing history here, not fiction. And because he's writing history, he includes some things that are a little embarrassing, honestly, for the, the church to think about, okay? I love that. Like, he wasn't writing fiction, trying to make church and Christians look perfect, because the truth is, church and Christians aren't perfect. He included some conflict and some issues that they had, and it can help us learn how to handle those things ourselves. But let's jump into question number one here. Are we trying to help Jesus save us, okay? Whether it's us ourselves or are we looking at our buddy who's just becoming a Christian or has been a Christian for about a year and we're looking over their shoulder going, oh, you're not doing this yet. Maybe you're not really, right? Like, are we adding extra requirements? Now, before we get into this section, there's something culturally I have to talk about here that's just different from where we are in life right now, okay? So in the first century, there was this issue about circumcision. Now, this is very different, obviously. For us in our day, that's a medical issue for us. But for the Jews, that was a spiritual issue, man. It was actually, to them, one of the most spiritual issues there were, okay, or there was. Okay? And so all the way back in Genesis, God makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I'm going to take care of your people. I'm going to bless you. But he says, but I want you and your people to be circumcised, and this will be a sign of, of this covenant that we've made. Okay? And so for the Jews, this is like all about their faith. And so now we have this problem in the first century. We have Jews who have had this religious history of them equating a relationship with God with this sign of circumcision, and then Gentiles who like knew none of that. And now we're going to find a little bit of a conflict here in, in Acts 15.1. It says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So here is this outward restriction that the Jewish, some of the Jewish people are trying to put on some of the new Christian believers. These Jewish believers are thinking, whoa, 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 this, this old formula thing is still important. Remember this formula we sometimes talk about in church, right? That Jesus plus something equals salvation. And today we're asking this question, am I, trying, am I doing this in any way, me personally? Or with somebody else, am I trying to save myself? Or do I truly believe that Jesus alone is my Savior and their Savior too, right? You know, some, something I've noticed over time, that there are two, two kinds of people in life. 
Um, when you're holding the door for somebody, you're coming out of a restaurant, a store, and you hold the door open for them. Two, two kinds of people. The first kind of person, actually, maybe there's three. The first person just ignores you because it's New York. They don't even say anything, right? Okay. Second person, though, is the person who looks at you, oh, thank you so much, and walks through the door. The third person is this person. You're holding the six-pound door, and they have to also hold it, too, right? Usually it's a guy because we're proud, all right? But, but, you know, the guys, I'm holding the door. Like, I'm not Schwarzenegger here, but I can handle the six-pound door while you walk through here. Guys, spiritually, we often go, Jesus, Jesus, thank you for my salvation, but I'm going to hold the door with you going, no, I'm holding the door. I am the door, right? Like, you don't need to hold the door. I alone am your Savior. So are we trying to help Jesus save us? We shouldn't and we can't. Now you might say, doesn't that lead to dangerous places? Like, if I start believing that Jesus alone is my Savior and it's his grace that rescues me, then, you know, we got to be careful, Doug, because we can start giving people, the, the young people, the young people might think, then they can just do whatever they want because Jesus saves them. Well, we're going to get into that here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not talking about cheap grace, just do whatever you want. But at the end of the day, we have to know it's Jesus alone who saves us. So there's this conflict, and now verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas go to them and say, hey, God's been saving the Gentiles, and they have this conversation. Now, I'm going to throw a shoe out into the crowd right now. That's not really any of the points of the message today, but I think it might hit somebody, okay? I love that Paul and Barnabas, who are like these amazing, God-loving, God-fearing Jesus people, super deep, super anointed, super powerful, when there is a question about something that they're unsure of, they don't just go internal, they go to some godly counsel and get some help. And I think somebody here today or watching online needs to do that. Like instead of just going, oh, I got this and and it's just me and God. No, no, it's you and God, yes, but it's also us and God, isn't it? And sometimes it's just wise to say, God, I'm you know, I'm going through something here. Maybe I need to talk to some people who love Jesus and love me, and I can just get some insight. I love that these, like, superhero apostles do this. That's amazing. Let's keep rolling. Back to your regularly scheduled message. Acts 5, or 15, 5. Then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. Everybody say believers. Everybody say Pharisees. Okay, so that's weird. Okay, there are some believers, some people who were Pharisees, which were like the religious of the religious that God has begun to work in, but they have this big misunderstanding. It says... Those believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So here are these guys saying, they're not really saved unless they add this to the Jesus equation, right? And we have to be so incredibly careful that we don't have the same attitude toward ourselves or anybody else, especially Long Island, I don't know if you know this or not, is a really religious place. Like there's a lot of just religious people who think, I can do it. I've got this. I'll save myself. Or you got to do this to help save yourself. Today, we've got to be hearing that God is saying, it's me. I'm the one who does everything. I do all the saving, all the saving. All right, we go on. Peter says, God's working in the Gentiles. In verse 9, he says, he did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by faith. He's, he's standing up for the Gentiles saying, wait a minute, why are, we, why are we trying to tell them they have to do something to be saved? He goes on. I love this verse. Verse. It, this is the, the, Peter is calling out the picture of hypocrisy right here. You ready? Now then, why do you try to test God 
by putting on the necks of, of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. I love that. You ready? Here's what Peter's saying in plain language. He's saying, we couldn't keep the law. Why are you telling the Gentiles they need to keep the law? Like, you're, you're saying that to be saved and to be the real deal, they have to keep all these commandments. We couldn't even keep the commandments. It's Jesus who saves us. It's Jesus who saves them. And this right here is, a, I think, a moment where Peter, this is like a seriously moment. Like, I think Peter's going, why are you asking this question? Why is this even a thought in your head? So some of you guys who haven't been around in about a month are wondering why I have a marshmallow on my finger. I don't have a marshmallow here. This is a, a little gauze pad. A month ago yesterday, I cut my thumb with a running chainsaw. Yes, it was fun. And I went for an appointment recently, and the doctor was looking it over. And um, I, when I had the initial surgery to kind of put everything back together, they had to remove the nail, don't pass out on me, and then they had to uh, put everything back together and put the nail back, okay, which I didn't even know they could do. It's amazing, isn't it? Okay, and so I'm seeing the doctor and in my head, I don't know if anyone's ever hit their, their nail with a hammer or got stuck in a car door or anything like that. When there's pressure on your nail, it throbs like crazy. If that's ever happened to you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So in my head, I have this horrific throbbing pain running through my hand and through my thumb. And so I asked the doctor a great question. I said, is the throbbing pain because they had to remove the nail and put it back and all that sensitivity there? And he just looks back at me, straight face, just very calmly, just goes... Your thumb is throbbing because you hit it with a chainsaw. <laughs> I was like, right, okay, right? Like, I thought that was a great question, but in that moment, he's like, seriously, bro? Like, you're asking why your thumb is throbbing. You practically cut it off. In fact, Kelly and I were at another follow-up this week, and the guy, the doctor, is, is uh, telling the nurse what to write down, and he goes, okay, uh, 45-year-old male, extremely good-looking. He didn't say that, but 45-year-old but, uh, male, partial amputation, and Kelly and I went, partial amputation, what? Right? And so I'm, like, ready to lose it here, but here is this doctor going, what? of course, of course your thumb is throbbing. Like, why would you even bring that up? And I think here Peter is going, why would you even be thinking that way? Like, this is as stupid as the question that I asked in the office that day. Why are we asking the people to try to in any way earn their salvation? Verse 11, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Guys, we are saved by grace through faith alone. It's all Jesus. And so I know some of you are like, Doug, I know this, man. We just spent like 10 minutes of the message on this. I know this. Yeah. Do, do you know it for you? Probably. Do you live it for you? Maybe not. Listen, do you know it for your coworker? Do you know it for your spouse? I don't know. Do you know it for your child? Like, do we know they're saved by faith and, you know, grace by faith alone through Jesus? And so we gotta be so careful. We start pointing fingers at like, oh, I don't know if they're, they haven't done this yet. Man, just let the Lord hold the door open, walk through, right? Fall into his loving arms. So powerful. Then James stood up and reminded them that the prophet said these days would come where the Gentiles would be saved. And that gets us to the question too. What should our attitude be toward new people just coming to Jesus? So that's the question, right? That's the question of this whole passage is the Jews wanted the Gentiles to do this, that, and the other, jump through all these hoops, these new Christians, right? Which, by the way, they were all new Christians. It's Acts, right? It's right at the beginning here. But Acts 15, 19, James says this, it is my judgment, therefore, we should not make it difficult. Everybody say, not make it difficult. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That is amazing, church. We need to hear this. 
Are we making it difficult for people to turn to God? Are we adding extra requirements? Are we assuming a whole bunch of things have to be true of people before they're actually a Christian? Are we forgetting where we were when we were saved? You know, there are people in the room who've been Christians longer than I've been alive. I'm not trying to make you feel old or anything, okay? But I'm just saying that some of us forget that when we first became followers of Jesus, we weren't who we are now. That took a long time. And sometimes I think we expect people who have just followed Jesus to suddenly be at this crazy, amazing spiritual level when in reality, they've just turned to Jesus and he's gonna do that powerful work in their lives. I love Jesus' patience with the disciples. Like, think about them for a minute, okay? They hang out with Jesus for about three years. They're following him. Guys, they fail in like every way. Like consistently, it's not even like, you know, halfway through, they're doing good. Bad theology, weak faith, um, cowards, at times horribly divisive and fighting amongst themselves. Um, eventually, they all abandon Jesus at his greatest time of need. And when is it that they finally kind of get their act together? After the what? Super Bowl, exactly. You know, yeah, the resurrection, right? Like, thank you. John finally said it, right? Yeah, after the resurrection, suddenly they're like, oh man, he's alive. Like, enough with all this messing around. And their lives are completely changed. And so I love that Jesus was so patient. I just want to tell you, if you were starting a church, you would not have hired any of the disciples. You wouldn't have, right? Because Jesus was just patient. All right, all right, Peter, just, just Peter, shut up. All right, Peter, Peter, calm down, relax. All right, Peter, okay. All right. Usually it was Peter, wasn't it? Right? It, was, it was just uh, all of them in one way or another a mess. And we have to remember that our attitude, attitude toward people who are just coming to faith, man, let's make it easy for them to put their trust in Christ. The Holy Spirit is going to come in their life and do the amazing works that the Holy Spirit's done in us, right? And so I love the attitude here. And then James just says, here's what we should do. Let's just tell them this, okay? And I'm going to explain this. But verse 20 says, instead, so let's not make it difficult for them to come to Christ. Instead, we should write to them, telling them, and he says four things. Abstain from food polluted by idols, to abstain from sexual immorality, to abstain from the meat of strangled animals, and to abstain from blood. Okay, so why does he say these four things? First off, he doesn't tell them any of these things because doing them will save them, save them, right? He's not saying, if they only do these four things, then they'll be saved. It's like, no, they are saved. But if they do these four things, it's going to impact other things. And I want that to lead into this next part. Obviously, you know, staying away from sexual immorality and anything having to do with idols is going to honor the Lord, right? But there's something more that James is driving at. Let's keep going here, and it's going to help us answer our next question. So question three, let's jump to that. What should my attitude be toward people with different convictions than me? Because here is a big part of what James is driving at, okay? They're trying to bring unity. Everybody say unity. Trying to bring unity between the, Christ, the, the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. They're trying to bring unity between these two people that historically have hated each other and been at, at, at basically cultural war for thousands of years, right? And so... Now it's like, how do we bring these people together? And so James wisely says, hey, let's tell them to abstain from sexual immorality because that's going to honor the Lord. Uh, and the Gentiles before that would have reveled in sexual immorality. Let's tell them to stay away from anything dedicated to idols because Gentiles have worshipped idols, so let's get them away from that. But then he talks about uh, the meat and the blood and, and staying away from eating those things. And the whole point is unity because the Jewish Christians had been historically so careful about what they did and didn't eat. 
right? They thought they was unclean and clean. We've already seen that God called all things clean, right? And told Peter, go eat. But here, it's all about unity. The question is, all right, what can these Gentile believers do? Not to save themselves by adding some kind of works, but what can they do to honor their Jewish uh, Christian believer brothers and sisters in the Lord? What can, how can they put them above themselves, right? And that's question three. What should my attitude be toward people with different convictions than me? We already saw with new people, we're gonna make it easy for them to come to Christ, but what about all of us who wanna kill each other because we get into Facebook wars over some political thing, over some doctrine thing? Like, how do we help uh, navigate that? I think we limit ourselves in a way that honors the other, right? Listen, doing these things doesn't impact your standing with God. It impacts your standing with each other and what we can do and not get brain freeze as a church and become completely ineffective and stalled out. Let me give you some practical examples, okay? Is there any way we can limit ourselves for the sake of our brothers and sisters? Here we go, you ready? Can we just be really careful about what we post online? Like, I'm just ready to throw social media out the window, okay? If it wasn't for the fact that literally right now, Hello to Uganda. Someone wrote online before I came out on stage. I just saw they're watching the stream from Uganda. I think that's pretty cool. So technology can be a blessing. But man, if we would just begin to say, wait a minute. Okay, so I don't know it, but sitting in the seats next to me this coming Sunday or sitting there last Sunday were people that I waved at and smiled and we prayed after service and we got some cupcakes and talked out in the lobby. I have no idea that what I'm about to post is going to make them not want to come to church again. Political stuff or my view on this, my stance on that, and we just get so nasty and gross on social media. And man, I would just say that's one way that we can prefer our brother and sister, and like these Jewish believers say, you know what, I'm going to lift Jesus up above all the rest, right? That's why I never post or talk about anything political, because that is not my goal. My goal is to reach you with the gospel and to turn you into a mature Christian. My goal is not to reach you with any political thing, and it's okay to have political things, and I vote, we're all gonna vote, wonderful. But man, at the end of the day, that we would look at one another and say, I love you more than my post. I love you more than my stance. I love you more than my party. I know people who don't come to our church anymore because of a post, everybody. Come on, right? That's just a practical way we can live out what we're learning here in Acts. Another way is just being careful with how we speak. As God has blessed us in this church with different ethnicities, learn how to communicate with different ethnicities. Learn how to say or not say things that are going to be a blessing to that person or don't say things that are going to push someone away and feel like they don't belong here. We have different sin struggles. Be careful how you joke, what you joke about, right? Like these are just some practical ways that we can say, all right, I really, really want to care more about them than I am my own freedom or right to do this or that. You might be going, but Doug, I have the right to post that political thing. Of course you do. But is it the wise thing to foster unity within the church? And I love what we're going to see happen here. So they choose Judas and Silas to go back to the Gentile believers. Remember, the Gentile believers are sitting back here waiting for Paul to come back with, All right, do we have to get circumcised or not to follow this Jesus guy? Okay? And they're waiting, and they don't know. And look at what it says here, Acts 15, 31. The people read it. And we're glad for its encouraging message. They're going, praise God, we're saved by grace alone. And then they have this attitude, you ready? Oh yeah, we can stay away from those four things you said. Yeah, 
For the sake of the Jews who now love Jesus, we Gentiles can stay away from eating those things that we'd still love to eat. I mean, I'm in the mood for a cheesesteak, but I could, you know, sit back from a cheesesteak right now. And for the sake of my Jewish believer brothers and sisters, honor them by not eating that way. Judas and Silas then go home, but Paul and Barnabas remain there for some time. And I just would ask again, is there anything, and, and there's a million different things we could bring up, but is there anything in you that you know pushes the buttons of somebody here, you know? Is there anything in you that knows, oh, if I post this, if I say that, if I, I'll finally get them with my, with my angle, right? Has your angle ever won anybody over, by the way? You ever argued your, your angle to somebody who goes, oh, that's perfect, yeah, I'm gonna, absolutely, right, I'm switching my political parties now, or I'm gonna, right? Like, that's not what happens, it's not what works, okay? And so, is there anything in us that is causing disunity instead of unity. We've got to fight for it. We've got to live it. We've got to be different. The scriptures say it's our love that will show them that we're the followers of Jesus that we are. Oh man, please church, please, that we would live this out and we would change and we would say, man, there's not one person that I would want because of an inappropriate comment or post or attitude or remark to make feel like they don't belong in the walls of this church. The Lord is calling all types to himself and we want in on that goes on here, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. He wants to check up on the people, right? And then here we go, conflict. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark. Say John Mark. Uh, with him, but Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and he had not continued with them in the work. So here's some conflict. Again, because Luke was writing history. This isn't fiction. He's not making it up, trying to make the church look all pretty. Can I just encourage you today? The church doesn't always look pretty, everybody. It's real life. And there's conflict sometimes. How do we deal with the conflict in the church? Acts 15, 39 says, They, Paul and Barnabas, had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers for the grace, to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, what do we learn from this? I think we learned three things from this. How do we handle church conflict, okay? Number one, you're going, cool, that's great. They parted company. I get to just run. No, that's not the answer, because what you don't see in these verses is Paul and John Mark and Barnabas and Silas would all minister together later, which means they reconciled. Everybody say reconciled. They reconciled. They worked it out, okay? In fact, everybody say John Mark. Okay, so he wrote the second gospel. He became the writer of the second gospel, the gospel of Mark. God worked mightily in this guy that Paul at the time couldn't see. He couldn't see the, the anointing on him. He couldn't see the potential in him. And so they parted ways. But listen, it was temporary. So sometimes we need to agree to disagree. That's one thing we learned from this. Second, it's temporary. I love they were able to work it out. They were able to find a solution and come together and work together mightily. The third thing I think we learned from this is that even in the midst of the conflict, they did not get spiritual brain freeze, everybody. Let that sit for a minute, because I think so often, even for myself, if I'm helping the church navigate conflict, like back in 2020, when there was so much conflict, I had brain freeze, man. I was, it was so hard to focus on what God had called us to do, because it was like, okay, how, how do we, we got to get these people together to try to reconcile, get together, and that's part of my job, and that's okay, but we have to make sure it's done in a way that we don't get brain freeze and become ineffective, because God's work continued. And Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways with these two guys, but God's work continued. And then they come back together and reconcile, and God continues to work. So don't, please don't decide, you know what? 
what that person posted, man, that's it. I'm never going back to church again. Don't decide, you know, that they didn't say hi to me or they said something. They didn't even realize what they were saying. But culturally, what they did, the way they acted, the way they said that phrase or the, the way they looked at me or didn't look at me. or I mean, we just can't allow that stuff to keep us from the great work of sharing the gospel and being God's people and being the church in this really important hour. Amen? Oh, that was a weak one, friends. That was a weak one. Are we believing this today? All right, good. Acts 16.1, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish. Say Jewish? And a believer whose father was a Greek. So now you have a Jewish believer mom and you have a Greek pagan dad. So can I talk to you for a second? I'm going to throw another shoe out into the crowd real quick. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus but your spouse isn't, do not underestimate how much God can use you in the life of your child. Timothy became an amazing man of God. And his mother was the one that influenced, even though his father was unbelieving. And so be encouraged. So let's get back to the next verse. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, of Timothy. Okay, now this is going to seem very confusing for a second. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Didn't we just spend like 10 minutes talking about how circumcision wasn't required for these people to be known as Christians? Why then did Paul circumcise Timothy? Well, because Timothy knew that he wasn't just going to be a Christian, he was going to be a pastor to these people. And if these Jews were going to hear him out, they were going to want to know that he was circumcised. It wasn't something that made him saved. It was something that made him effective. And so he goes, sign me up. I don't want to, but for the sake of these people, I'll do it. And again, what an example. What an example to us. Paul and Timothy continue, and they, they share the gospel, and people get saved. Question five, what does it look like to follow God's leading? Let's get into this. I know we're hitting a lot today, but come on, let's put these shoes on, right? Verse six, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Persia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. Say, kept by the Holy Spirit? From preaching the word in the province of Asia. Isn't that weird? Why would the Holy Spirit keep them from preaching the word in that province of Asia? We know Paul would go to Asia eventually, but why now? Are they being kept? And how are they being kept from going there? We don't know from the scriptures that there was like this big fireworks in the sky moment where God appeared in a cloud and said, do not go to Asia right now. Like, that, it doesn't seem like that, that's what happened. So I just want to encourage you with a couple ideas here, all right? How do we know when God's leading us? I think it's a mixture of a few things. I think that sometimes it's an inner prompting. You know what I mean? You just get this gut feeling. And it's not you. Like, we all have our own gut feeling, right? I got a gut. I'm working on myself, right? But we all have that feeling. But then it's like, oh, I think that was a prompting of the Lord, right? Like, he's, he's saying something, okay? Then we've got closed and open doors, right? I think that there were closed doors from Paul to being able to go into these places right there. Maybe it was persecution. Maybe it was, you know, people who hated God and didn't want him to preach there. But there was a closed door for that time. So my question for you right now is, is will we pay attention to those inner promptings? And will we submit to those closed doors and those open doors? I'll give you an example. A few weeks ago at staff meeting, we're like just so restless about not being on the property yet. We're in staff meeting. I just look at the team. I'm like, guys, I'm like, I know we got these five acres up here. We're in this building. It's not big enough to do church. We have no room for kids space up here. Is there any way we could just dream up a crazy solution and just move to the property now? 
you know, just figure it out, rent it, buy a tent, you know, for, for the kid's space. And then we're like, oh, that's probably not good because, you know, security-wise, someone could just cut through the tent. You can't do that. All right, so we'll just, we'll get some, like, uh, trailers. We'll rent some trailers. We'll do the kid's space. Nah, parents aren't going to want their kids in trailers for the kid's space. And then it's like, okay, well, next door, there's a preschool. So what if we rent the preschool on Sundays and we can, you know, our parents aren't going to want to drive from our, you know, location all the way next door and be in a separate building than their kids. And eventually we just looked at each other. It's like, guys... It's just a closed door right now, man. It's coming. It's going to be open there one day. But right now, to go up there would be to, be a, to get ahead of God. And we don't want to do that. And we got to just submit right now to that closed door until the Lord provides all the funds that we need to get up there. But it's coming. And that's why I purposefully made it seem like it was raining into the room today. So you'd give more to that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but will we submit, right, to those? Some of us are kicking against those closed or open doors. And it's so important that we surrender to those. Here we go. Let's keep flying. When they came to the border of Majah, they tried to enter Bithynia. Listen, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Similar. Why, God? Why wouldn't you let us in to preach the gospel? Let's keep going. So they passed by Majah and went down to Troas. They stay on mission. Okay? Verse 9. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they get a fireworks in the sky now, right? So far, it's been inner promptings, we think. It's been some open and closed door. Now they get a firework in the sky. Paul has a vision from God. And so let me just spell this out for you. Sometimes God's going to give those inner promptings. Parents in the room, your kid's like, oh, I want to go here. My so-and-so is going to be there, and their parents are there. I promise they'll be at the house, and it's going to be great, and the whole my whole grade's going to be there. And you just have this inner prompting like, something's up. You know, I'm not saying my kid's lying to me, but maybe their friend's lying and the parents aren't going to be there and there's going to be a whole lot of inappropriate stuff going on. You just say, you don't know anything beyond, I got this inner prompting that's saying, nah, not a good call, right? And sometimes that's the Lord just leading us. Sometimes it's open, closed door, right? You feel like you're supposed to open a business in location A, and at the last minute, like right before the closing, the seller or the leaser pulls out of the deal, and now you have to open a, uh, your business over here in this area. And a year later, you look back, you go, thank God I had to open over here because over there would have been a nightmare. But you didn't know that then, right? Open or closed door. But sometimes there's going to be the unmistakable huge firework in the sky that God's going to show up and give us that leading. A few weeks ago, I was standing in the back of the room as the service was ending, and someone had given me a Chick-fil-A gift card, and the glory of the Lord had shown upon me, okay? And so I'm back there, and I'm thankful for this gift card, and then a lady comes up to me, and she begins to tell me her story. And she starts to talk about how her and her husband are in great need, and they might lose their home, and this and that. And I just feel the Lord starting to just give me this inner prompting, like, dude, give her the gift card, man. And I'm like, but Lord, like, this is your glorious nourishment, Lord. Like, this is, you know, this is your food here. And so... Um, I'm literally fighting God as we're having this conversation. And eventually, I just, I'm like, all right. I, I, I just feel like God says to me, it's bigger than just the gift card. Like, what you're about to do, it's, I mean, it was like a $25 gift card. It wasn't going to change her life. It wasn't going to save her home, right? But, but it was bigger than just the gift card, right? And so I take it out. just think she's very kind and thanks me for it, you know? And I, I'm just like, all right, Lord, use it now. Like, that was the inner prompt thing. I hope that goes somewhere, right? And I think that's where Paul and Silas were because they've had all of these delays and they're trying to see something happen and they're unsure what's going to happen. And in verse 13, it says, on the Sabbath, we went outside the gate to the river. So they've gone to the city where God gave them the vision to go. 
where we expected to find a place of prayer, we sat down and began to speak to the women who'd gathered there. And I love this. Pay attention to verse 14. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Listen to this last part. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. See, I love this story because I don't think this meeting with Lydia was random. I think the Lord had an agenda with Lydia. And he's like, who am I going to send? Where's Paul? Paul wants to go to Asia right now. Nope. Right? Paul wants to go to over here. Nope. Paul wants to go there. Nope. My spirit's just going to keep blocking it. And I truly believe if Paul had gone to Asia and said the same exact things he said to Lydia, nothing would have happened. But God had a moment and a time for Lydia. And it goes on to show us in a minute. It's not just Lydia. It's her whole household. God had moved powerfully because Paul listened to that inner prompting, listened to the open and closed door, and listened to the firework in the sky. And I love it. It didn't tell. See, often we think in the Bible, like, well, of course Paul's listening to God. I mean, God spoke right to him. I mean, it's obvious. It's easy for him, right? But God didn't tell them, oh, I'm sending you to this lady named Lydia. No, it was closed door, open door, inner prompting, firework in the sky, a whole mixture of stuff. And eventually they saw God. So the day after I give my Chick-fil-A card to this nice lady at church, um, Kelly and I have a doctor's appointment. We're coming back. It's my kid's last day of school. They just finished their last final. Glory to God in the highest, right? And so we're going to go pick them up and take them out for food to celebrate. But they don't know it because we weren't sure if we are going to get back from the appointment in time. And so I uh, text Bryn and Landon and say, hey, guys, don't take the bus. We're going to come get you, and then we're going to go out and eat. On the way, I get pulled over by a cop, and I get a ticket because I full-on was guilty of not fully stopping at the stop sign. And so there's these delays. We get to the school. Landon didn't have his phone on, and so he took the bus. He goes home. I have Brynn in the car. We go pick up Landon, and then we go to Chick-fil-A. Just because I don't have a gift card doesn't mean I'm not going to go there, right? And so we go to Chick-fil-A, right? And we walk in after all those delays, and who walks in right next to us but the lady I gave the stinking gift card to the day before with her husband, who we've been praying for, who doesn't want to come to church, who I knew didn't want to come to church and doesn't want anything to do with God, but here we are now meeting and talking. And then she tells me this is so crazy that we just ran into you because we came here earlier but my husband left his wallet at home which had the gift card in it so we went back home are you telling me that all those delays with all of us the ticket included was to get us right online right next to each other at the same exact moment the day after i gave her the card the day after god put it on my heart this is bigger than the gift card and you know what i don't know that he like knelt down next to the fry machine and accepted the lord in that moment but a relationship started. And in fact, I saw him later that week and recognized him because I had met him and we talked. And I just believe the Lord's up to something there. God is attention. I mean, as soon as we walked in, she looked at me and she looked at her husband. This is where we got the gift card. This is so crazy. This is a pastor from my church. And, and it's just so cool how sometimes it's the little inner prompting, the closed and open doors, the cops, the stop sign, the, right? The missed the bus, forgot the wallet, and then the firework in the sky. How awesome. We can just follow God's leading in our lives. You can do that. You can begin to say, Lord, show me what those inner promptings are. God, am I kicking against a closed door here, or am I not walking through an open door here? God, we all want the firework in the sky, right? Lord, bring those. But that we would become sensitive to God's spirit. I believe every single one of us, God is wanting to lead. He's wanting to direct. And just so you know, because sometimes I think pastors can make you feel like 
you know, this is, this happens to me every day. I give a gift card away and then I see that person finally, like, that, you know, that's, that's not every day for me. Just so you know, don't, so you don't get discouraged and think, well, that, that happens to Doug, but not me. It doesn't happen to me all that often either, but it did that time. And so be encouraged and watch out for the Lord's leading. Lastly, I love, the, love this verse 15. When she, so Lydia and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Listen, just like it wasn't just about the gift card, it wasn't just about Lydia, it was about the whole household. And next week we're going to talk about that a little bit more. This theme of God saving whole households and what that's all about. But... I love today we've seen some powerful things. Thank you for your patience. I know we, we dug in a lot. We went deep today with this stuff. But are we trying to help Jesus save us? He alone saves. We can't and we should never try to save ourselves. Don't add to yourself or anybody else's salvation. What should our attitude be toward new people just coming to Jesus? Let's not make it difficult for them. But God will bring those, those changes in his time and in his way. What should my attitude be toward people with different convictions than me? Oh, man, that we would learn to just say, is there anything I need to limit myself in? Not because it'll save me or make me in better standing with God, but to honor my brother or sister that we would be unity walking in unity how do we handle conflict in the church sometimes we need to disagree to agree to disagree but it's temporary and god's going to bring us back together and the move is going to keep going no spiritual brain freeze where we get stalled out and we stop thinking about what god has for us let's keep going even in our conflict and what does it look like to follow god's leading i think it's a mixture of inner promptings closed and open doors and fireworks in the sky i'll tell you next week we're going to keep going jump into some exciting stuff but this week if we take what we've heard seriously, we will lean on Jesus alone for salvation, not make it difficult for people to come to Jesus, limit ourselves for the sake of others, handle conflict well, and we will follow God's leading. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for your word that speaks to us. Thank you for the shoes that we can kind of put on today here. Oh God, I pray that we'll leave here convicted and changed and encouraged and challenged by what we've heard. And so we just want to pray through this now, Lord. So please don't tune me out. If there's anyone here in, in kind of category number one, if you have been trying to add to your salvation or add to somebody else's, if you've been trying to put a burden on yourself or somebody else, can we just come together and just lay that all down and say, Jesus, it's you. It's you alone. I'm going to take my hand off the door and just let you save me, God. If you're not a father of Jesus, I'd love for you to put your trust in him right now. Would you pray with me now? Would you say, Jesus, thank you so much for dying in my place. Thank you for rising from the dead, and thank you that it is your grace alone that saves me. Forgive me for all that I've done, and help me to know you and live for you. If you're in category number two, and you're kind of walking with somebody who's just trying to put their trust in Jesus, or somebody that is new to faith, or questioning, and let's make it easy for them to put their trust in him. Let's not make them jump through a whole bunch of hoops and add all these requirements. If you're in category three, and you're just wrestling with, man, I got these strong convictions about this, that, or the other thing, but I know so-and-so doesn't. Man, could we just lay some of that aside? Could we step back and say, I'm going to push Jesus. I'm going to lift him up above all. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push him as my, my focus, not, you know, things that can so easily distract and divide us. Maybe some of us just need to ask the Lord to forgive us. God, forgive me. I've, I've, I've pushed a brother or sister away because of how I've acted because of my insensitivity to humor or, or speech or culturally I've, I've dishonored someone. If you're in category four, you just go, man, this conflict's rough and I'm ready to just run. I'm ready to give up on church. I'm ready to not go back. I'm ready to give up on God. Oh man, that our hearts would be softened today, that we would say, God, give me a soft heart toward you and toward others. Would you help us resolve this conflict well? 
And lastly, if you're looking for leading, would you just say, Lord, would you please, God, give me those inner promptings. Guide me with those closed and open doors. And God, I'd be so blessed by some fireworks in the sky. To show up, lead, direct me in power. In your name, amen. During this last song, if you need prayer, please come forward. We're going to have some prayer team members up here, and we would love to pray with you. No matter what's going on in life, it could be something we talked about, something totally different. Please come up and join us for prayer. And the rest of us, let's stand and worship God together.